Hello, and welcome to the Judo Way of Life podcast. If you've been with us before, welcome back, and if this is your first time listening, thank you for joining us. Today, I'll be talking with 2016 Olympian and Australian representative in the under 66 kilo category, Nathan Katz. Nathan is a three-time Senior Oceania Champion, two-time Australian Senior National Champion, and has also medalled at numerous World Cup events, including winning a silver at the Asian Open. All right, Nathan, uh, thank you for joining us. How's everything going? No worries, mate. Yeah, it's good. We're in quarantine at the moment. We just got back from a couple of weeks away in Europe and Asia, so six days in today. So we're looking forward to getting out of here for sure. Are you able to get much training in whilst you're in quarantine, or is it pretty much a no-go? Yeah, we've been, I mean, within reason, we've been pretty fortunate. A couple of our sponsors, 4D Health and Performance in the city, it's where we do, Josh and I do our S&C. They've provided us with some stuff. We just bought a pretty old, like an $80 treadmill on on Facebook Marketplace and um, some friends of ours who do CrossFit, like brought us a bit of equipment. So we've actually got a pretty good setup. Avitsa brought us in a couple of judo mats. So to be honest, with what we've got, the space we've got, we couldn't really be getting much more work in. But Obviously, within reason, there's not a whole lot of judo you can do on one-by-one mats that move around on the carpet in your room, but it's enough to sort of keep us sane and going while we're in here. Yeah, I suppose uh, the, the people staying downstairs won't appreciate the, the repetitive break falling either from a, from a lot of throwing. Yeah, the break falling and the med ball, the med ball slams. I don't, think, uh, I don't think they're too fond of room 2303 up here. Um, and how... Because this is the second time you've been in quarantine after returning from overseas travels how has this new change in protocol for an athlete how, how has it affected you it's certainly challenging i mean me and josh spoke about it a little bit coming back overseas and i've spoke about it with a few of the other guys and the the two-week quarantine hotel challenge i guess that's unique to australia i mean i don't think anybody has that in the world i know a couple of i know the canadians have two weeks home quarantine um, which, to be honest, sounds like a holiday compared to being in here in, in a hotel. But I guess just like the way the world tour is now, you're almost in quarantine the whole time. You're in a hotel bubble with very tight restrictions on interaction and you can't leave the hotel and, and there's a real lot of restriction. And on like I guess on a personal level, I don't enjoy the experience anywhere near as much as I did pre-COVID. Obviously, I'm really grateful and we're fortunate to to be able to compete and still do what we love and make a living and stuff and try and qualify for for the Olympics, but I mean, a lot of the the journey that I enjoy and appreciate is like I've got so many close friends now internationally that you can't really connect with now. I love the food, I love going away and traveling and and seeing the places. And obviously, all of that only supplements the judo, which is the main purpose for being there. But it makes the whole process a lot more enjoyable, and it, it's much better for your mental headspace. I find it quite challenging, especially this year where there's a lot on the line every time we compete to just be sitting sat in your room and sort of cooped up and you're just alone with your thoughts a lot of the time. And like I said, I guess we are grateful and we're fortunate that we can still compete because um, we definitely missed it in a year away from competition. But yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge. So on this trip you've just come back from, how long were you away in total traveling? So from the day I left Australia to coming back to Australia, I was away less than three weeks. I think it was 20 days in total, which which wasn't really long at all. But there were three events and it, there was, it was a difficult period for me, especially I'd, I'd had a lot of injuries in the last nine months, probably from about June last year. I started dealing with like a fairly significant issue in my back and that sort of led to a bunch of other issues. And in the Masters in January, I, I fractured my rib cartilage, broke my rib, um, which set me back quite a bit. And I really struggled when I got back from that, again, with my back to get healthy before these 
events. And obviously there is a big rush on getting healthy with the Olympic qualification this year. So we were only away 20 days. There were three events. The first event, I mean, I was just a bit of a bit of 2020, 2021 luck, I guess, for me at the beginning. I must have picked up some sort of gastro bug or something on the plane. And when we got to Georgia, as soon as we arrived, I was really crook. Um, no COVID symptoms or anything like that, but I just couldn't stop throwing up and couldn't keep any food down. And I spoke to Daniel about it, who obviously our national coach, Daniel and Josh and mum and dad at home. And I was just so crook. And I stayed in bed for the three days before the tom- competition trying to get right. Um, and I made the weight just to give myself the best chance to hopefully be able to compete. And I had dinner after the weigh-in and, and threw that food back up and then had breakfast and that came back up. And I went to the competition like with the intention of competing and it was sick as soon as I got there again. And, and it was just not, it was not going to be a good idea for me to compete that day. I think I woke up the morning of the competition still underweight, which is insanely unique for me. But we turned the trip around. I didn't compete well in, in Turkey, but I had a good performance in Asia, which gave me a lot of confidence off the back of having, I mean, only really two minutes of mat time at the Masters before I got injured over the past 15 or 16 months. So it was good to get a little bit of confidence again and, and definitely to keep the qualification alive for Tokyo this year. Yeah, good. That was a, a fantastic result in at the Asia Championships because this is the only second year that Oceana has been included. Is that correct? Yeah, last year was the first year that, oh, not last, sorry, 2019, obviously 2020, there was none. But when Asia emerged, or Oceania emerged with Asia, there was a lot of criticism that, oh, the Australians can't qualification now. And I think a couple of us, especially me and John, the boys and Aoife, Katarina, particularly in the girls, have sort of proved that that's, that's really not the case at all. I mean, I finished fifth this time. Josh Josh was fifth as well, but he beat a Kazi boy who was, who was top 10 in the world and he's won Grand Slam medals and I think world fifth. So, I mean, we're definitely a Kai Han as well, obviously fits in that category. Where we're at now, I noticed, uh, I think it was yesterday, it was uh, 100 days to go till, till the Olympics. And in terms of qualification and then upcoming events, uh, what, what's on the horizon? Yes, unfortunately, I think Australia is really up against it in terms of qualifying, just with our restrictions in terms of quarantine. We obviously can't just come back and forward to Australia whenever we want because of having to do two weeks and and realistically, it's more than two weeks because it sets you back a whole, at least another week after that. You obviously can't do sort of your home workouts in a in a hotel room and then go straight back into full-time training because your body just can't handle that contact. So we've had to be, um, I guess, a little bit careful with our schedule and stuff with planning. We can't compete in Russia because it's just too soon after we get out of quarantine. So we've only got one event left, which is the World Championships at the beginning of June. I think the way the world ranking list and stuff is at the moment, if if I can finish in the top 16 at the Worlds, then I'll qualify direct after Asia. And then it's a little bit tricky. I think 60s with Josh, the points are really high with qualification. So he's he's definitely in contention to get a quota spot, which is difficult because these are people that you travel with for a number of years now and, and you sort of want everyone to be able to qualify, but it's just not realistic at this point for some people. So obviously... It's still more than possible for for me and Josh to get to the games together, which is absolutely what we're aiming to to do. So, but yeah, just one more one more event to go, which which is exciting, and I guess there'll be a lot on the line, and that's when we both perform pretty well. So, especially with that being a World Championships, to get the chance at two major events within a six or seven week period is is exciting. So you, you touched on the the physical preparation and the challenges you're facing there. Uh, I'd like to ask you about the mental preparation and. So obviously last year was pretty much a write-off, but I'm assuming you, you carried on training. 
And like you say, now you're facing these challenges with being able to keep your body prepared. But how have you managed to stay motivated during this time? Especially last year when it was like such an uncertainty. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's it's been challenging, and I think almost like the whirlwind of it has sort of helped in in some aspect because Josh and I came back from Europe in March last year uh, after Morocco and Russia was cancelled, and we didn't know. I mean, we had no idea what the extent of COVID was at that period, so we sort of thought, oh, we need to stay in shape because maybe competitions will go back. Then it was pushed back to September, and then it was pushed back to November, and it sort of made you have to stay in shape that whole period. And in some aspects, I wish that we had have had a bit more clarity because physically and mentally I was struggling by the end of the period just because we were sort of in like that preparation phase for so long. And the last thing we wanted was to have missed nine months of competing and then the IJF to announce an event and neither of us were in shape. So we tried to, we, we did a lot of training in that period and in some aspects, probably a little bit too much for me in some ways in terms of strength and conditioning because my back I got a really bad issue with my back. Um, but I guess, I mean, these are things that you can't plan for when you've never dealt with anything like this before. And hopefully we never will again. You, you're not to know that that's how it's going to be. But in some aspects, the break was good. Like in terms of making weight, it really gave my body like a period to rest and like recalibrate in some aspects. When you make weight 12 times a year, um, especially if I drop a little bit of weight to make 66, it was difficult towards the end. And, and now it's really it's made it so much easier for me to make weight just because my body sort of recalibrated. And I guess I got a lot healthier in that period in some aspects, but motivation wise, I think it was strictly like Olympic based. I think if when the Olympics were canceled or postponed or initially, we, when there was uncertainty around what was happening with the Olympics, it was really challenging because I mean, for 99% of full-time judo athletes, I'd say the Olympics is, is their goal and their dream. So that was certainly what me and Josh were motivated by. And when the uncertainty was around that, it was challenging. But as soon as there was a bit of clarity around, you know, there will be an Olympics and it is happening, then it was fairly easy for us to stay motivated. It's a big benefit having the both of us together because when there's someone that doesn't want to necessarily do some work on one particular day, the other one can always give a bit of a lift. And we do have a good environment at home with mum and dad who coach us as well and a lot of support. So that definitely made it easier. But there were definitely days where it was challenging when, when you can't see when you can't see something that you're working towards for such a long period of time when there's no events listed it's quite difficult yeah and, and as you say um a lot of your focus is now on the olympic games that are being held this year uh, do you have any aspirations post olympics or is it, are you just solely focused on that for now and there's no really thought given to anything afterwards I think when I was a little bit younger, it was only like the Olympics and it was just like I was so short. Like it was, that was the only thing I was sort of interested in. And to, to a lot of extent, that is the case now. But I think as you get a bit older, you do like, I'm only, I just turned 26. So I'm still young enough definitely to continue for, I mean, an, a, a number of years really if I want to and if I'm physically and mentally capable. But definitely like in the short term, the Olympics is, is the entirety of the goal. And that's really all we're working towards. But uh, I will go on post Tokyo. I'm going to have a break. For at least a couple of months afterwards, I'll probably have some surgery that I'll need to look at having and like some longer rehab management plans just to to look after some injuries that I've been dealing with for for a fair while now. But I'm still motivated and I still think I have a lot of things to achieve in judo. And I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, I don't think I've really achieved anywhere near the level that I'm capable of at this point. I still think I've really only scratched the surface of my own, my level and my ability in the international competition. So I definitely feel I'm still motivated to achieve a lot more, but yeah, I think I think that'll be 
reinforced a lot more if we can get to the games, have a good result, and then have a good break. I think it'll be a lot easier to be motivated and to reset post-Tokyo again. And as you've already competed at the Olympics in 2016, uh, and that was your first one, how does this one, like the lead-up to this Olympics, how, how does it feel? I mean, it is it is very different. Just with the qualification system this time, last time we qualified through Oceania, so it was definitely a lot a lot less difficult. It wasn't easy by any means, but I'd had some good results, a couple of World Cup medals and results. But this time it's definitely more challenging through Asia. You don't have that security blanket of Oceania, which, I mean, it realistically qualified most of the Australian athletes with in conjunction with some other results. But this time the qualification process is a lot more difficult and We've definitely suffered from, not suffered from, but dealt with a lot more challenges and adversity this time. I mean, with COVID, but just Josh Josh in, in particular has had a number of, I think he's had three surgeries since Rio and I haven't had to have surgery, but I've just had a lot of setbacks physically and missed a lot of time on the mat and also some mental stuff too, some challenges. So I think for, with Rio, I was young and a little bit naive and I took the whole experience for granted a little bit. And I really didn't appreciate that probably until last year where, there was the threat of the Olympics being cancelled and all of a sudden you really appreciate what you had a couple of years ago. And I definitely won't take that for granted this time. I know how hard I've had to work to make Tokyo a possibility. And I think if we can get, if I can get back to the Olympics again this year and, and I definitely don't believe that I really fought to my potential. I fought well, but I, I let that match slip away in Rio. So that's been a big motivating factor for me, like to really, fight to my potential and to show that potential at the Olympic stage on the Olympic level. That's, I think that's the big motivation for, for me. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'd like to ask you about now, Nathan is how, how we've got to this point. So as we discussed the where you are right now in terms of the qualification, um, how did it all start? Um, and so you go through that, the lead up to maybe up to 2016. Yep. So I was born really into a judo family. My mum went to the Olympics in Seoul, 1988, and dad was the Olympic coach for her. Um, so I think it was pretty natural progression for me and Josh to be involved in judo. We were sort of born crawling on judo mats and rolling around the mat and watching mum and dad coach. So it was a pretty natural progression for us to be. We played all sport and there really wasn't much pressure to do judo or to focus on. It actually wasn't probably until I was 14 that I decided to focus purely on judo just because I was better at judo than the other sports I was much more passionate if I lost a game of tennis or cricket or soccer or whatever I'd be a bit dirty because I'm competitive but it wouldn't really do much for me but if I lost a match at judo I'm not the best loser and I hate losing probably more than I love and enjoy winning so I was really competitive and I knew from a pretty young age that like that Olympic spirit was pretty big in our family with mum having been and and speaking about it occasionally when we press her and, and me and Josh always knew that we wanted to go to the games and we started to get a little bit of a taste of what it was really going to take. And probably from 15, I started having some some decent results. I mean, obviously in Australia, you're in a little bit of a bubble and you're sheltered. You don't really know what the level's like abroad. I mean, at 15, I was like on the senior national team. And I think at 16, when I was a cadet, like I made the final of the senior national. So I started to have an idea that I did I did have some potential and that I could have been good. But you really don't know what that means on a world scale until you start getting overseas and competing and traveling. And once we did that, it was starting to be an eye opener and we started to get an appreciation for what it was going to take because we didn't want, we, our dream was never to have an Australian backpatch and to compete overseas and, and just fill up the numbers. It was always associated with a national and winning Olympic medals and world medals and major medals. So 
we we had seen what the level was like in Australia and the level that we wanted to get to and we knew that it wasn't just going to be enough to live in Australia and and just do what sort of everyone had done before with exception to obviously a couple of Australians who performed really, really well internationally. So we started traveling a lot pretty much from when I left school, when I finished school at 17, I started spending like significant portions of the time in Europe. And that's sort of how we met at, at Cambly and, and in England. And I was really grateful to have somewhere that wasn't so different from home in some aspects in England, obviously with the language being the same and such a good in training environment and the group and the boys were so good there, especially to me because a lot of Australians had been there before. And that was probably the big foundation to a lot of my development in Jura. Obviously, mum and dad coached us since we were since we were kids and then Luke at Campbell and, and that sort of laid a big platform for us to spend more time overseas. And I guess I, th- I sort of thought Rio was probably a possibility from maybe from se- from when I finished school at about 17 but I was probably aiming more towards Tokyo. You're a little bit naive at that age and you don't know for certain what what is really realizable. But I started to do better and I started to be competitive. I started to win some medals at international junior level. And then I started to transition into the seniors with Australia. And I guess because of the way the qualification system was back then, I could transition to seniors a little bit later as opposed to what it was this time. So yeah, I started to pick, put some results together and the points looked like I had a real possibility of qualifying. And Josh and I won the last event. Josh was literally a baby. He was 17 when he qualified. So to get to do that together and with mum and dad was was super special for us. But obviously the Olympics didn't go the way that I hoped. And the boy I lost to there, I actually had beaten before and since. So I think our motivation, our motivation the second time wasn't just to get to the games and it wasn't just to participate in Tokyo, but it was to, in some, I guess, in some aspects to redeem the performance that I felt I did in in Rio and I know that I'm capable of more and on my day I can beat a lot of those top boys so yeah I guess that's the motivation behind Tokyo and I guess a little bit of our story leading up to yeah great uh like as you say you alluded to the fact that we met uh, I think memory serves me correctly it was about 2013 and I think you were using Camberley Judo Club as a base and you were doing a lot of training in Europe from there in the good old days when you could travel around more yeah I will say this in terms of your training program how does it differ now how you train now um, compared to how you were training sort of when there's a little bit more movement in the world? Yeah, so it's obviously very different. Obviously, when, I mean, now that you've, you've, you've got a lot of similar experiences now, having been living in Europe and now seeing in Australia the, the access to bodies, especially just high-level training partners is the biggest difference in Australia and Europe. I mean, we have here, there's not a huge base, but there are a lot of, there are a handful of really high-level coaches that we're unfortunate to have access to with, my mom, my dad, with Daniel Kelly in Melbourne, who spent a lot of time with with me in particular, and and that's similar in Europe as well. But obviously, with the travel, it's difficult to to get high level bodies constantly. And I obviously do a lot of my training with bigger boys because the level in Australia at my weight, there's just not the same depth as what you're going to deal with internationally. So in Australia, that's just something that you have to deal with. And if you want to prepare, then you have to travel around, and you can't just base yourself in your own club. I bounce around a lot and I try and bring boys in and I've been to Melbourne of late and um, I'll text around often and try and organize extra sessions and, and try and get Randora and stuff together. And it's good that we've got a good little group in Sydney um, where people are sort of, realistically, they're just mates that are, help, are able to help out. And some of some of the guys have kids and judo is so far from their priority, but they want to help out when they can and they'll come and have a wrestle, which which I'm really grateful for. But 
We do do a lot more S&C and technical work at home just because we don't have the access to as much Randori, which is a challenge. But, I mean, it's just something we have to deal with. You don't have a choice. You can't sort of sit there and go, oh, I'm not doing that because this isn't what I'd be doing when I was overseas. I have to just make up that gap somehow. So if we can get super fit and as strong as we can be and all of our skills and movement and drilling as sharp as possible and we get the Randori in when we can, then that's the best that we can sort of do with that at the moment. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation for all. I think um, you know, you're just trying to trying to do the best you can and muddle through. Yeah, definitely makes you a bit more. Well, I think it makes you more resourceful. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we do a lot of the, the European training camps, and and you've just got such a, a high number of bodies on the mat. And it, it's so it's it, the training's not easy, but I mean, you just the, the access to those training partners is easy. And then now, like you say, you're just gonna think more outside the box absolutely i mean it's it's i mean you definitely take for granted now when you look back you definitely take for granted how good you had it pre-covid when you can just rock up to a session and not have to think at all about ways to make that session more difficult i mean you can rock up to anywhere in europe and you've got six or seven hard practices around your weight division one up or one down and then that just doesn't exist in australia i mean japan which isn't even support at the moment so um, it definitely makes you, yeah, more more resourceful is probably a really good summary. What I'd like to talk to you about now, Nathan, is I know you do some work with Lifeline, which is a charity. Uh, is it is it a charity or? Yeah, it is. It's um, so it's a I guess a mental health pro. It's a, yeah. yeah. So a charity in now. Let you tell you you tell us about it. Yeah. So I I didn't really know a whole lot about Lifeline probably prior to the start of last year and i actually i don't remember exactly i think someone from the ais reached out and there's a program called lifeline australia and i sort of had heard of it a little bit but i started to look into it a bit more and they work a lot with suicide prevention and mental health and reducing the stigma around mental health and they use not high profile athletes but australian athletes and australian olympians to sort of try and spread the message and my own personal thought was just a little bit of like if if normal people and other people can see that uh, Olympic athletes and Australian athletes and people that it appears have everything together in their life pretty on track and, and are doing it pretty well, that it isn't it isn't always as good as your social media looks. And there is if the, if those people can talk about people that fight for a living and and people I guess who fight and Olympians can talk about their vulnerability in terms of mental health and that it's not just something that your stereotypical like the idea of like your weak people or your people that are just quiet and sit in the corner it's not that's not what it's really about but it's something that can affect anyone and everyone so they sort of reached out and said would you be interested in being involved like as one of the community custodians and ambassadors and I was a bit taken aback by it because I was like oh I have no qualifications in helping other people with mental health like I've had my own challenges before but nothing significant but I didn't really feel like that comfortable or confident in helping other people with it but I got a little bit of an understanding from them what that actually meant and, and I was excited to be able to try and make a little bit of a positive impact in that space especially um, I mean I had had some challenges in the past but on a personal level but especially in the judo community like the year like 2019 there was it was really rocked by mental health with obviously with Craig Fallon and, and Jack Hatton in the states and Craig we obviously had a lot to do with in Cambly and in England and he was someone that everyone that has ever stepped foot really on the mat. Camberley looked up to and Jack was like a, a good mate of mine on the tour. And 
his one really rocked me because we were the same age. We had so many similarities in terms of siblings and we spent a lot of time away from home traveling in the pursuit of like that Olympic dream. So when, when I heard about them, it like, it really made me quite reflective just about like, geez, like this is, this is something that's really serious. And probably prior to, I hadn't given much thought to mental health or mental illness or depression or anything like that. So when they reached out, it was, it was like a big compliment really that they thought I'd be able to make a, a difference in that space. And obviously with COVID last year, I didn't get to probably have as much of an impact as I would have liked, but I'm working with them again this year and hopefully with Australia starting to ease their restrictions and you can get out to more schools and more programs and start to chat to kids and youth and I guess older people too can start to have a little bit more impact with it, hopefully. Yes, yeah, uh, amazing. As I say, we we all felt the uh, the impact of what happened in 2019 and it, it's just great that you're able to be in a position to try and help others. Do you feel as though the experience you have through judo and say, obviously there's like a mental mental toughness that you've had to develop in judo uh, do you feel as though there's a lot of a crossover to, to bring that to people who say haven't gone through the same you know trials through the sport and are you able to relate to, relate that information easily i mean i i definitely think that judo and and high level judo especially from i mean from anywhere in the world but from australia with the travel and, and the time away from home it definitely makes you resilient um but in some aspects i feel like that mental toughness can hinder mental health as well because I mean, I mean, you'd know as well from having competed and trained at a high level when you, that mentality of like, when something's wrong, when you're injured, when you're sick, when you maybe are dealing with some adversity, it's always about pushing through and finding a way through. And often that can be negative in conjunction with mental health, because it isn't always about just pushing through and dealing with it and being quiet and sucking it up. It's probably the worst thing you can do if you're having issues with mental health, but then it's such an important quality in terms of being high level in judo and in sports. So it definitely helps in terms of, I mean, a lot of the experiences I feel like I've gone through with judo, I know that when I deal with things outside of that, then I'm going to be able to get through them because I know what hardship has looked like. And and obviously that's in perspective from real hardship of people overseas that are dealing with poverty and, and a whole lot of other issues. But in your own little bubble, there's it's still hardship in your own personal level. So I think a lot of the lessons with judo, and I think that's why judo is such a good sport for kids, regardless of whether or not they want to go to the Olympic Games. But the mental toughness and resilience and hard work and that sort of thing, it's definitely made me, I think, be able to share a better message with with Lifeline. And and I think that definitely helps with my story as well because they can see that it isn't always a linear path. There is up and there's downs. And it's sort of how you can respond to those things that, that is really what defines you as opposed to those things. But on the mental health, it is it is hard. Like sort of what I touched on, being vulnerable and being open is not something that is very easy for a lot of athletes to do because it's so different from what you're sort of coached into being tough and, and that sort of thing. If that makes sense, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, 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 completely. Um, and I really appreciate you talking about it because th- there is still, I think, a bit of a stigma around you know opening up and you know putting yourself in a vulnerable position as a, especially in in a sport like. Well, the, like the well, actually, it's probably any sport. There's obviously that level of bravado. Yeah, I mean, the conversation is being had a lot more, and I think that's very important. But it's still not being had enough. But it, it definitely seems to be going in the right direction, which is is fantastic. And hopefully, more people are going to hear that conversation and and be more comfortable to talk about anything that they've got going on. So, no, I really appreciate you talking about. That. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Nathan. 
I think we'll wrap it up there, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your your schedule to to sit down and talk today. I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I think there's a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. It was uh, enjoyable. Normally, I'd say taking a bit of time out of my busy schedule, but it's not really like that at the moment. We uh, we got plenty of time, but I'm I'm <laughs> grateful to get to chat and thanks for having me on. Is there, is there anyone you want to sort of thank any sponsors at the end or? Uh, yeah, obviously we do judo at Budokan Judo Club and they're a long time supporter of, of Josh and I. We have a couple of sponsors, Combat Nutrition, Triangle 4D Health and Performance and Care. Obviously they they do a lot to help us, so we're really grateful for that. There's a couple of other people who on the down low help us and, and want to remain like that, but we're definitely very grateful for all the support that we get from the judo community in Australia. Um, there's a bit, obviously it's individual sport, but there's a big team and group that goes into helping us try and achieve our dreams so we're really grateful and, and yeah thanks for having me on cheers mate thank you